And Father, we thank you today that we can laugh and that we can rejoice in your presence, rejoice in your goodness to us and not be religious but be real in your presence because you are a real God and you really care for us. You are really here with us, in us and among us. We thank you for this day that you've given to us and we thank you for the gift of life. The life that is within us is a gift from you. We can't create it, nor can we destroy it. We can redirect it. And the gift of eternal life most of all. And Father, today we enter into this wonderful, glorious transaction that you have ordained for your people that we would open the Word of God together and allow the precious Holy Spirit to take from this living Word and make deposits in our hearts. May we have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to grasp and understand all that the Spirit has prepared for us today. And we thank you for that in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said? Amen, amen, amen. Well, we've been talking about, as the graphic shows up to you, that God loves you. We've seen that this is a foundation for really everything we everything that we need to do with God, for God, to receive from God, to do for God. Everything is based, ultimately, on an understanding of revelation, which we're going to begin to talk about today, that God loves you. We know He loves the church. We know He loves people, but He loves you personally. That's what changed my life. I was raised in church. I knew John 3.16 from the time I was a little child. My grandmother made me memorize scriptures and things like that. But it wasn't until I was in my mid-30s that the revelation hit me that it wasn't that just God loved us. He loved me. And that's what began to change me, that Jesus died for me. It's a personal transaction. It includes all of us that he died for you, that Jesus, God loves you. And we've looked at many aspects of that. We're not going to go back over those this morning. But what we ended up talking about last week is that we went down through some scriptures, which actually I think I want to read. Let's just read through these scriptures, and then we'll go back. And these are some of the most powerful, important verses in the the Bible. Romans chapter 8. And we're going to pick up on at verse, I think, 29. Yep, I was right, 29. All right, Romans 8, 29. I want to read down through here, then we're going to go back over this, and then I'll remind you what we're talking about. For whom he foreknew, that's God foreknew, that's us, by the way, he predestined, pre-planned, that we would be conformed to the image of his Son that his, he, his son, might be the firstborn among many brethren. We looked at that before and saw that what that's talking about is that God's plan before the foundation of the world was that he chose us to be his in Christ, and then he chose to conform us to the image of his son, to make us not just, in, not just positionally his son, but to become like him so that people would see Jesus in us, that we would be like him because we're, we're, we're joint heirs with him. We've looked at that before, that, that we are, he's not ashamed to be called our brother, that God's plan was literally to save you so that he could make you into his own son as Jesus is his son and love you as much as he loves Jesus. And this is his goal that Jesus might be the front, there are many other. That's the implication. Verse 30, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he called. That's us. Whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, he glorified. And then we looked at verse 30, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And last week we began to look at what does this mean that God is for us? Because that can mean everything from, you know, eh, 
He's sitting in heaven, and he kind of, you know, he's, he's nicely, dis, you know, disposed towards us. He, he looks at you and thinks fondly of you, but basically, you know, that's what it is. Or that he's totally committed to us. We use the example, you know, you can have people in New England that are, that, you know, they're, they're, they're for the, the Patriots, or they're for the Giants, or they're for somebody. Or you can have a rabbit, you know, a, 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 a nut-crazed fan that, you know, wears his T-shirt or doesn't wear his shirt at all, has, you know, some people are nuts enough in the middle of the winter, they have painted on their chest, you know, it's like, you, no, anyway. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? They're willing to stand in freezing temperature without a shirt on with the name of their team painted on their chest, boldly in front of everybody, and all they're rooting for is a team that never know them. You had to pay to be there. I don't want to get off on this. You had to pay to be there. They don't really care whether you're there or not. They just want your money. All right? And the guy that you painted on your chest, he's never going to know you. And, you know, next year he may be playing for a different team. But the one we're talking about didn't ask for you to pay to get in. He paid for you to get in with his own blood. And he gave everything he has to you, and he knows you better than you'll ever know him. He has the hairs on your head numbered. And yet we're ashamed to go out and even mention his name in public. That's because we don't really know him. We don't know how much for him, for us, he is. So this word for can mean everything from, you know, eh, they're okay, to, I'm totally committed, I'm a nut, I'm a, you know, I told you the word la- last week that the word fan means fanatic, that I'm a fanatic for that team, I'm a fanatic for that, for that candidate. And so we looked at that, and we began to look in the Old Testament to see what, what it meant that God was for them, and we ended up by going through a number of principles that I read to you out of Matthew Henry's commentary on this verse, and then I went, gave you some names by which God revealed himself to the children of Israel in the Old Testament, and there were seven names. God is a healer. God is their righteousness. God is present with them. God is their, is their, is their peace. God is um, uh, uh, their victory. And, and God is their shepherd who guides us. And we're not going to go back over all those things. What I wanted to begin to look to you today is in the New Testament, and it's right in here how much God is for us, what that means. And it's in this, this, these verses here. Verse 31 says, What shall I say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And this next verse is one of my favorite in the Bible. He who did not spare his own son, that tells you how for us he is. He who did not spare his own son. He who did not spare his own son. He who did, the word spare did not, meant, he didn't hold any of him back. He didn't hold any of him back. And remember, we saw earlier in Romans chapter 5, he did all of this while we were still his enemies. He didn't wait to see whether we would come to him and then do this. He did this before the foundation of the world, before you and I were ever born. He did not spare. He did not hold back anything. He did not, if he didn't spare his own son, remember this is his beloved son, how will he not also together with him, that word implies at the same time, contained in him, freely give us, freely give us, that's grace, freely give us, all things, all what things, whatever he has. 
What that verse is telling us is how committed God is to us. He's held nothing back. If he didn't spare his son that he loves preciously, dearly, why would we think he would hold anything else back that he has that we need or that would be a blessing to us? Ephesians chapter 1 says, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places just as He chose us in Him. So God's help. The point here is this is how for you God is. He's held nothing back. God doesn't parcel it out to see how much we receive it. God doesn't parcel a little bit out and say, now let me see, because I don't know if I can trust you with my grace. I don't know if I can trust you with my son. I don't know if I can trust myself to you. I don't know if I can think, you know, when you meet somebody and begin to enter into a relationship with somebody, you, what, normally what we do, at least this is what I do, I begin to, to study, not no, so much in here, but I, consciously, but I'm learning, how much can I trust myself to you? Because I have people in different areas, different spheres of influence in my life that have different, in whom I'm willing to trust more or less of my heart. And of course, the closest is my wife of 49 years. I hold, hopefully hold nothing back from her. But I trust her more than anyone else. Because not just because I love her, I know her because we've lived together for 49 years. I've watched her faithfully go through things with me when I wasn't always the easiest person to live with. And I've watched her put up with things and I've watched her, you know, she married me, never expect, she, she thought she was marrying a lawyer. <laughs> I was going to law school and I was a lawyer for 10 years and then again for another 13 years. But little, she never, she never thought she was going to be a pastor's wife. I never knew this either. But my point is she's been faithful to come through. So I trust her. She has a place in my heart nobody else has, which is where it should be because we're one. And then there are other people like our children in our life. And Jesus had, had circles of relationships. He had John who was comfortable enough to, to, to lie with his head on his chest. And Jesus was comfortable with that. Then he had the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And he would take them with him into the really critical situations. And then he had the, 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 all the 12. And then there was the 70. So there were people in different levels of relationship with him based on the trust that he could, how much of himself he could give to them. And so we do that. But now listen, look at this from God's side. God's hold nothing back. He's given everything. He's committed his heart, his love to you. And this is so important to understand because we don't earn that from Him. It's already been given. On, in Genesis 22, there's a great example of this because God, and I'm going to be careful. I don't want to I can get off in this story because it's so powerful. God had given to Abraham and Sarah a son, Isaac, through whom Abraham and Sarah were going to be the father and mother of many nations. And it's a long story, but the only way they were going to have this child is by believing God's promise, no other way. And so this is the child of the promise, and now when he's a young man, God tells Abraham to take him to a place he'll show him and to sacrifice him. I think we talked about this before. And they get there, and they're going to talk about this last week when we talked about Jehovah Jireh. And so Abraham comes to the bottom of this mountain and he's got men with him who's helping him and he says, you stay here in his great statement of faith because God says, take him to this mountain and sacrifice him. Sacrifice men, build an altar of wood, 
tie the, tie the animal, put it on the altar, slay it with a knife, and set it on fire and offer it to God. And he said this great statement of faith. He said, you stay here, the lad and I will return. We're going to go worship God. So they go up the mountain, they get up there, and builds the, takes the, the, builds the, the, the altar of wood, ties his son up. By the way, that's a great statement of trust of the son of his father. This is not a little baby. This is a young man. Lays him on the altar, takes the knife, and begins to bring it down when an angel of the Lord speaks and says, Stop. He says, Now I know that you fully fear me. That doesn't mean terror. That means that you truly respect who I am and trust me. And at that point, God made a commitment to Abraham. Because you've done this, you've not withheld your own son from me. I'm not withholding anything from you. This was the fulfillment, the sealing of a covenant God made with him 25 years, no, probably more than that, probably 35, 40 years earlier. The evidence of his faithfulness, he was still going to trust him. Wow. He's called the father of our faith. But because of that, God has withheld, was not withheld his only precious son, his first begotten. Okay, let's keep on going. We'll, we could live there. All right. Verse 33. Who shall therefore bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Now, we're talking about now, okay, God, remember this chapter begins with there's therefore now no condemnation. And now he's going to go through, having God done all this, let's talk about who it is that's left that can condemn. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? That's you and me. There's only two, this is going to tell us, that legally would have a right, a standing, to condemn us. The first one's going to be God, and he just eliminates him. He said, well, he won't. He's the one that just justified you. So who can bring a charge against God's elect? God can't. He's the one that did this. He justified us. Verse 34. Who is there who's going to condemn us? This answer is verse 1. It's Christ who died. So the only other one who's righteous enough to condemn us is God the Father and God the Son. God the Father won't. This was his whole idea. He's the one that justified us. God the Son won't. He's the one that died and paid for it. Not only that, he's been risen, raised from the dead, and he's seated at the right hand of God, and he's making intercession for us. So the only two that would have any standing, any right to condemn us, have excluded themselves because this is their plan and they paid for it. We're talking about how much God's for us. Verse 35. This is, we're going to get into it now. Who shall, because of all this, because of, Paul, you've got to understand, Paul's not sitting in a theological seminary writing doctrine. This is a letter that Paul is writing to the churches at Rome. And I mentioned this either last week or sometime earlier. This is a very special letter. They're all special. Because this is the only one written to a church that Paul did not form. The others are written to churches that he created, that he birthed, and he's correcting things in them or teaching them things. Or they're written to men that he fathered in the faith and he was checking up on them and giving them advice. But this letter is written to a church he'd never been to. And he's explaining the doctrine that Jesus revealed to him personally 
of justification by faith. And we spent a whole time last year going through the first chapter of Romans. But this is the culmination of it. This chapter is like a symphony that's been going through the first movement, the second movement, third, and now the fourth movement where everything just kind of just builds up to this powerful moment. So Paul is writing this and he's, he's been talking about the mercies of God. Because he goes on in chapter 12 and says, Therefore, we learned this in renewing the mind. He appeals to these mercies of what God has shown to us. And Paul's writing here out of his own experience. This is the revelation of who God is and what God's done for us. And now he comes to this and saying, Who? Because of what God's done for us. Because of how much for us He is. Because of the love that God has for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? And now he goes through this. And I want to read down through this. And I want to go back and kind of begin off of this today. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yes, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. That's what we're talking about today. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, verse 39, nor height, nor depth, nor other, any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Go back to verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This is what we're talking about. We're talking about God loves you. And Paul writes these powerful words. Because of how for us he is, who can possibly separate us? Sword? How many of you want to go through those things? I can't see out there, but I assume there's no hands up if you're honest. I used to read this. Now, let's go to verse 36. It gets even more interesting here. As it is written, we're talking about God for us, and now he's talking about persecution, nakedness, peril, danger, and sword. It's got to get better. Oh, yeah, for your sake, we're killed all day long. We're counted as sleep, sheep, sleep, yeah, maybe so. sheep for the slaughter. Wait a minute, I thought you're saying God's for us, Paul. <laughs> Wait a minute, if God's for us, why are we going through this stuff? This is why I used to read this. I mean, I believe He's for us because you said so. I believe you when you say nothing can separate, but I read these words, that makes me a little uncomfortable because do I have to go through these things to find out how much He loves me? If He loves me, why am I going through this stuff? Am I the only one who's ever had that thought? Let's be honest. All right, you read this. How is this love? We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. Verse 37. Yet in all these things, we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. I thought conquering mean I overcome those things. I don't have to go through them. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Here it is again. Through Him who loved us. And now look at verse 38. For I am persuaded. Those words are so powerful. 
those words tell me Paul's not sitting in a theological seminary's office or in his in the library, having read the Old Testament and come to this conclusion. This is not an intellectual persuasion. This is a persuasion by experience. I mentioned a few minutes ago, I'm persuaded that my life, my, my life, I'm persuaded that my wife loves me. Not just because she says so, but she's got 49 years of faithfulness to demonstrate it. So I'm not persuaded because she says so, although I trust her word, but her life of 49 years has backed up her words. She's loved me at times when I wasn't lovable. She's, I don't want to go through all this stuff, but she's loved me faithfully. I'm persuaded of that. We're talking about Paul's persuasion that God loved him no matter what he went through. You can go back and read. We're not going to take the time to do that. There are places where you can read some of what Paul went through. The book of Acts tells you some of that. Paul talks about it in several places that he was beaten. He was, he, you know, he was scourged more than Jesus was. He went through what Jesus went through three times. He was spent a night and a day. He went through all kinds of... By the way, none of those listings include sickness and disease. So not, Paul's not talking about some eye disease. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that there was, he, there was a messenger of Satan assigned to him to buffet him, not buffet him, buffet him. That word means to bounce up against, oppose. Every time he went into a city, when he began to bring the gospel, that they would come out, there were people that would come out and they would oppose him and it was the devil using them. He was thrown into prison. He goes to Philippi on his first missionary journey over into, into, into Greece, into Macedonia. And he's, thro- he's thrown into prison because what he's doing, what he's preaching is a threat to the economy. I heard one preacher say, if we, have, if we really have a revival here, the, the country's not going to like it because it's going to affect their economy. Charles Finney would come to town and a revival would start and the bars would shut down because they had no customers. Our economy today runs to a large degree on people fulfilling the vices of their flesh. You get a large part of the, con- of, the, of the thing broke out and people didn't take medicine anymore. I mean, that would shake the economy to the core. There would be people that wouldn't like it. And they opposed Paul. They started a riot and he's thrown in jail. And the jailer, just to make sure that he got everybody's pleasure, throw him into the inner jail, which meant a dungeon down where it's just dark and it's damp, put their feet in stocks. And I can just begin to imagine that there were other living creatures down there too that had four legs, not two legs, and teeth. And at midnight, Paul and Silas break out into hymns and praise and song and prayer, worshiping God. See, see they had a hold of something. They had a hold of something. And as I was, I'm persuaded, Paul says, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers. He's talking about spirits, demon spirits and angelic spirits. 
nor things present, what's going on now, nor things to come, verse 39, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall ever be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, I have had such a revelation of God's love for me that was given to me in Christ, it doesn't matter what happens to me, it doesn't shake me. Remember when we started studying about the love of God, we saw that, what, that what, one of the foundations this is of is, is matured, per, a perfect revelation of God's love casts all fear out. I was listening to somebody else the other day that had a, had a vision of, of, of what God did for them on the cross and, and, and the outpouring of love that, that was that God took their life, their sin, and, and judged it on the cross for them. And he, they said, I can't fear. Fear is impossible for me. It's not like I've got to confess it out. I've seen God's love for me. I can't fear. So Paul had a revelation of this love. So what I began to see is this is a living testimony of what we're talking about, about what's possible to come to, is when we see that how much God really loves us, how much God's for us, no matter what you're going through, all fear disappears. When fear disappears, now you can overcome things. Because fear is your enemy's number one weapon. Remember I told you when I came out of that doctor's office with, with, that, with the doctor saying what he said to me? I heard the Spirit of God say to me so clearly, cancer is not your enemy, fear is your enemy. And you can't overcome that. So what this tells us is when I read this, what I realize is I'm not there yet. Because if I still read these things about peril and destruction and being led to the slaughter and all that stuff, and I go, <gasps> then I'm not experiencing yet what Paul's seen. But it's possible. So what we're going to begin to talk about today, because we've talked about this before, all right, we've seen what this love is like. We've seen scriptures on it. How do we receive this? How do we receive this? How does this love become a reality to me, to me personally, to you personally? Well, uh, go quickly to 2 Timothy 3. I, I want to show you something, another example of Paul. It's, uh, it was 2, whatever it was I told you, Angela. Well, 4, 2 Timothy 4, whatever's up there. There we go, thank you. Paul's talking about, this is the end of Paul's life. He's now in prison a second time and he knows his end is coming. And he's remembering certain things. And he says to to Timothy, his son in the faith, at my first offense, nobody stood with me. All of them forsook me. May it not be charged to them. Wow. That's someone who has a hold of the love of God. All my friends, all the people I thought were with me, when I got arrested this second time, and it was a very different situation when he got arrested this time, all of them scattered. Father, don't charge it against them. Look at verse 17. But not you. Just me. The reason I read those verses at the end of Romans 8 and say, is that it? You mean your love didn't deliver us him from all those things? It's because I don't understand what that love is like. 
I don't understand the power of that love. I don't understand the satisfaction of that love. I don't understand the strength of that love. I don't understand what that love will do. But here's an example. Everybody abandoned me, Paul says, but the Lord stood with me and his love and his presence strengthened me so that the message may be fully preached through me that all the Gentiles might hear. And I also was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Paul was persuaded. It's because we don't see what that love is like. We would, oh, yes, Lord. We would rather be comfortable than have that love. If we had to choose between being comfortable and a revelation of that love, we'd rather be comfortable because we don't understand what that love is like. We don't understand how strong that love is. We don't understand how, how strengthening that love is, how protective that love is. It envelops you. It absorbs you into God. And if you're absorbed into God, who can hurt you? That's what Paul's saying. Who can do anything against you? Who can be against you if God's for you? But God's not just for you sitting in heaven. God wants to, God wants to fill you. We're going to see this in a few minutes. He wants to fill you with all of himself. See, I'm talking about, we've played church because we've not seen who God really is. We play church because we think God is just some other in heaven that's there to bless us, take care of us, save us. And No, God is infinitely more than that. I go, oh, I've got to be careful. I don't get off into this. We'll never get done today. We've not... I'm going to be... After this one, because I was going off of me yesterday when I was meditating, God is for us, and God says, yeah, they don't know who the God is that's for them. We don't know the God that's for us. Because if we knew the God that's for us, the fact that He's for us would mean nothing else matters. And that's what Paul's saying. That's what Paul had seen. See, Paul, Paul had seen what this, who this God is. Paul had a, had, had a taste of who this God is that loves him unconditionally. And therefore, nothing else mattered. I'm getting this while I'm teaching you right now. If we, if we, we it's because we, it's just, this just shows us, if that's where you are, it's where I am. I read those and it's like, it's, it's better than it used to be, but it still troubles me. It was, Lord, if you love me, then why do I got to go all through this? It's because I don't yet, see, this is what Paul said. I didn't need anybody else because I had him. And he strengthened me. It's not just he gave him physical strength. You understand, the life of God, oh, Jesus, Lord. The life of God the life of God. The, God is life. He is the source of life. It all comes out of Him. I've used this example before. Moses in God's presence, I think it was the second time, was there 40 days and 40 nights and he didn't eat anything, which is possible physically, and he didn't drink anything, even water. That's not possible. 40 days and 40 nights. Unless you're sustained by the life of God Himself. The Bible says that if you withdraw a man's spirit, his body dies. How did Adam become alive? That pile of dirt. God breathed into him the breath of life. His breath, his life was breathed into him. Have you ever had the experience of coming into church and you're just tired? You're physically tired. 
and you get into the presence of God, we start singing and worshiping, and you begin to give something out to God, and something gets stirred up inside of you, and suddenly you're not tired anymore. What happened? Did you take a cat nap during praise and worship? Some of you may have. No. The life of God within you was stirred up, and that life sustained and overcame your physical tiredness. I can't tell you the times that I've come in here on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning sometimes and just tired, just from the battles of stuff. And I'm not, stir up the gift that's in you. Stir up the gift that's in you through the laying on of hands. The life of God, the love of God, God wants to permeate you. He wants to permeate every cell of your being with His life. That's what it talks about. And, 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 and he says, and whom he justified, he glorified. The glory of God is in you right now, but it's not shining out of us or we wouldn't need the lights. <laughs> oh, Lord, I got to move on. 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 Okay, let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. How do we get this? Okay, our, our appetites are getting whetted. That's good. That tells us to not be satisfied where we are. That's the beginning of change. And we have to have a desire. These are verses that I've, we go over so many times, but I've I got to go back to this. How do we receive this revelation? Because it comes by revelation. Verse 9, 2 Corinthians 2, 9. As it is written, eye is not seen, our natural eye is not seen, nor is our natural ear heard, nor is it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. And His love for us is the greatest of those. Verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. So this revelation has to come by the Spirit of God. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God, the depths of His heart. And what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of we, we have, we, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know, by experience that word means, the things that have freely been given to us by God. So we see here, first of all, that the Spirit of God's responsibility, one of His, is to search the depths of God's heart and reveal what those gifts that God has for us well, the greatest of these has to be His love for us. So we're talking about how, all right, Pastor, this is what I used to think. All right, I realize now this comes by revelation, but how do I make that happen? Do I just sit here and go, hmm, waiting for God to do this? Well, that's what we're going to talk about briefly today. Okay, but the first thing is to understand your mind can't go figure this out. Your mind can't go figure this out. If we went on and started looking in the next few verses, he talks about the, 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 the spiritual things cannot be understood by the natural mind. For we know these things, spiritual words teach spiritual things, natural words teach natural things. So these are, there's a process going on right now by which the revelation is, the possibility for the revelation is being given. So it comes by revelation. That means the natural mind can't grasp it. So the harder you think, the more you're going to get in the way. 
And this has been a hard lesson for me to learn because my mind is analytical. I think in outlines and I like to take things apart in my mind and figure them all out and analyze them this way and this way. You know, I just, it's great for practicing law. It's lousy for a marriage. <laughs> and it doesn't work with God either. Because the proverb says, 3, 5 says, lean not to your own understanding. Doesn't mean you can't understand things, but don't rely on your understanding. Because the things of God come by revelation. They come by revelation. Okay, we could spend a lot of time on just that point, but we have to move on. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 quickly. Ephesians chapter 4. He's talked in the first three chapters about, and we'll get to one of those in a little while, about what God has done for us, what God has done for us, and how we're to receive that. In chapter 4, he begins to talk about how we ought to walk because of that. And now he gets down into verse uh, verse 17. Now this I say and testify to you in the Lord, that you no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. That means walk means live your life in the futility of their mind. Gentiles refers to people that are not in the family of God. They're people outside the covenant of God. He says, and he's talking to Christians here, no longer walk, live your life, conduct your know God through Christ, tries to understand the things of God through the mind. When I was in college, I decided I wanted to find, I wasn't saved, I wanted to know, figure out how to live my life, and so I decided to major in philosophy because I wanted to study how people that were smarter than I had wrestled with that issue of life. And so I majored in philosophy and came to the end of my senior year concluding they didn't know what they were talking about. I had that suspicion in the beginning, but now I knew it at the end. Because what are they trying to do? They're just trying to stand life with the human mind, and God says it's futile. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 1, he says it's foolishness. Foolishness. Verse 18 having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. So we see from this that the world cannot understand anything about what God is like because it's spiritually discerned and they don't have God's Spirit living in them. So the only organ they have left to try to understand God with is their mind and that's like trying to tune in an FM station with an AM radio. You can go from one end of that dial to the other and you're not going to pick up that FM signal or trying to watch TV on your radio. It's, it, they, they, don't, they don't connect with each other. But we're Christians. We're alive unto God and God's Spirit is in us. So we, we have the capacity to... to, to we, we, have an, we have an FM receiver for an FM signal. We have the, we have the antenna inside of us to receive revelation of what God is like and what He wants us to know because His Spirit lives in us and He is directly connected to the heart of God because He is God. Okay? Now, having said that, what this sounds to me is if it's all on God's end. Because is this telling us that I can't, I can't do anything to receive this revelation that's so critical for me to know 
I mean, Pastor, you've been telling us for weeks, it's critical for us to have a, have a knowledge of the love of God, God's love for me, and now I learn that only comes by revelation, which is not something I can initiate. Does that mean I'm just sitting here at God's whim and, you know, that I don't know, I guess I, God hasn't shown it to me yet because I don't really have this in-depth revelation. Well, that can't be right. Because what we've heard and seen is God wants us to know this more than we want to know it. So if God wants us to know this more than we want to know it, the issue is not going to be on God's side. It's going to be on our side. And that opens us up to this principle, which is so important to understand, that everything with God is like a transaction. And I don't like to use that term because that makes it sound commercial. But what it is is there's a side God has to do and there's a side we have to do. You go down to the department store, you need to buy a new tie or a new dress or a new, uh, you know, a new pair of shoes, and you pick it out, and then you go to the counter and you enter into a transaction. You want the shoes, and they want the thirty-five ninety-nine. So you got to give them the thirty-five ninety-nine or your credit card before they'll give you the shoes. So there's an exchange that's taking place. Well, it works like that with God, except you're not buying something from Him. With God, God has His side of it. And if God doesn't do His side, nothing happens. Because you can't make God do anything. And that side that's God's is called grace. Grace is what God chooses to give. Because if God doesn't choose to give something, I don't care how much you do, pay, how much you pray, how much you fast, I don't care what you do, if God doesn't give it, it's not out there to get. Grace is God's side, and it's grace because He doesn't have to do it. Ephesians 2.4 says, we're saved by grace through faith. By grace through faith. Grace is what saves us. That's God's side. That's the cross. That's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's grace. And everything else God has for us, healing, everything else that's included in that, is grace because it's God giving something to us that He doesn't obligate it to do because He wanted to. Gives us has to be received through faith. Through implies it's the conduit by which the gift of God gets into my life. And I've used the example of a milkshake, a fribble, or a, you know, an awful awful. You know, they put it in the cup, but then I got to take a straw and draw it out. The straw is what brings the chocolate milkshake from the cup into my mouth, which is where it does the good. I don't know if it's doing good, but it tastes good. <laughs> Maybe that's not a good example. So grace is God's side. Faith is what, listen carefully, how we receive something that's freely given. And the reason it's faith is because none of your five senses can see that God's given it. I can see the fluid in the cup. So I don't have to have faith to put the straw in there and go like that. But faith is a straw into God's, into heaven where God's given things but it has to be faith because you can't see what God's provided. And the only evidence we have is the menu. <laughs> is God's Word 
that is there. So when God says that He loves us unconditionally, the only evidence we have that that's true is God's Word for that, which, because it's God's Word, is infinitely more than enough. But we've got to choose to trust God's Word, not our senses, in order to receive this into our life. Does that make sense to you? Now, how that translates into this, we've looked at some amazing promises. Some amazing promises of how for us God is. Some amazing promises of how much God loves us. Romans 5 is enough right there. He demonstrated His love for us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. While we were His enemies, He loved us. and gave, That's God's word for how much He loves you. But what we look at is, but I don't feel it. I'm not, I'm not experiencing that. And here's where we need to grow up. The Bible says in, Roman, in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, that the just will live by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. We live our life by faith and not by sight. So what that means is when God says He loves me that much, that means it's true whether I'm feeling it or not. Most Christians are carnal. I'm not looking at anybody because it's dark in here right now. And I'd have to look at myself. Carnal doesn't mean that we're sinful. Carnal means we're dominated by our senses. We judge things by what we see, feel, taste, hear, and touch, or feel. So we judge whether this was a wonderful worship service because I felt goosebumps. That could just mean that the air conditioning got too cold. We don't judge what God means by our experience. So what that means is we can't, we've got, to, we've got to do a mental flip of a switch in our mind and say, I can't, I can't decide wh- whether I believe this because I'm feeling it or not. Because here's a man, Paul, that experienced it. And my view is if one person can experience it, anybody can experience it. I just got to find out how Paul had that revelation. So the point is this, there's God's side of that revelation but there's a part we have to play. But that part we have to play, listen carefully. This is maybe the most important thing I'm going to say today. The part we have to play does not earn it. And it's so hard to get in our mind because we live in a world where we earn everything we do. We earn approval. We earn our pay. We earn this. We earn that. And then we come to God and think whatever we're getting from Him, we earn Him. So I'm gonna, if I do all the things you're going to tell me, Pastor, then I'm earning the revelation. You can't earn it. In fact, trying to earn it will get in the way of it. Because earning it is not faith. That's what Romans 4 is all about. Earning it is not faith. So the things I'm going to tell you are not to earn it. You can't earn it. It's freely given. But these principles on places, and they're dangerous because one of them is you pay one fee and you get as much as you want. But you get this container and you go over to this machine and you read the one you want and you, and, and you pull this thing down and then this, they just put it in your own hands to get as much. Of course, you're going to pay for it when you leave. And you pull this thing down and you watch this thing come out. Anybody, anybody been there? And you watch this thing. It's just wonderful. You watch this thing come out and you... Now let me ask you something. Once this thing's opened, 
Do I, am I earning that mocha fro, frozen yogurt? No. I got to position the cup underneath it so it can catch or receive that frozen yogurt as it comes out. So there are things that we can do that as God's got the spigot open already, He's got the spigot, He's got the valve open of the revelation of this love already. It's wide open, pouring it out on you every day. The problem is we don't even know where the container is to catch it yet, let alone positioning it. Because we're walking around saying, God, why am I not feeling this? God, why am I not feeling this? And He's trying to get us positioned so that we can catch it, receive it, what He's pouring out on us. Everybody with me so far? So these things I'm going to quickly go through are to help us learn how to do that. Number one, it starts by just taking God at His word. If God says He loves me this much, then that must be the truth. God loves me whether I believe it or not, whether I feel it or not. By accepting His love is not that when He begins to love me. The issue is on my side. Number two, Asking for the revelation. Ephesians 3. We're in Ephesians 4. Let's go back over to Ephesians 3. This is what I pray all the time. It's a prayer. Verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family on heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, praying for the Ephesian church, which we can pray for ourselves, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. By the way, His Spirit is the one that reveals this so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith, that means He can live His life in you, that being rooted and grounded in love, you may be able to comprehend, understand something that's already yours. Comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. That means the boundaries, their extent. And to know the love of Christ, that word know there in Greek means to know by experience intimately. To know intimately by experience the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that means mental knowledge, Why? So that you may be filled up with all of the fullness of God. This is what I was talking about earlier. God wants to fill you with His life, permeate you with His love, be overwhelmed with His love. How could all these people in the first century, how could all these people joyfully be martyred? Joyfully be martyred. Why? They were filled up with the life of God, the kingdom of God, the love of God, so that nothing, this life didn't matter to them. It wasn't because they worked themselves up to it. They were overcome. Over, they were saturated with the life and the love and the kingdom of God within them so that this life didn't matter to them. They didn't go on a 30-day fast to do that. They were overwhelmed by the love and life of God in them. Because they were filled with all of His fullness. Look at verse 20. Now to Him, who is what? A-B-L-E. Able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. So Paul's just asked that we be filled with the revelation of His love for us. So that we're filled with Him. And he said, now that you've asked that, Have faith in this, that the one you asked is, ex- is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you can ask or think. 
So when you ask him to do this, he's exceedingly able to do this. He wants to do it. And notice the key part of this, according to the power is already in you. It's not going to take heaven to open up and a beam of light to shine down on you and music playing, you know, and it's... I mean, Jacob had to see at a vision of a ladder going up and down from heaven. He had a wrestling with an angel. You've got God living on the inside of you. You've got the Spirit living on the inside of you. The revelation's in there. It's just to have to break loose inside of you. So the second thing is, first thing is to, you've got to do this by faith. Number two, you have to ask for the revelation. Number three, meditate on the scriptures of God's love for you. We don't meditate enough. Meditation's not reading. Meditation's not confessing. Meditation is when you chew it and you swallow it. It takes time. Sometimes I eat so fast in a hurry I get the hiccups and my wife will say, you're eating too fast because I'm taking air in. I'm not chewing enough. I'm taking air in when I swallow. Meditation is when you take a scripture and you just roll it around in your mind and you mutter it to yourself. And in your mind, you chew on it. You just, you know, you're squeezing out of it, everything. And keep in mind, you've got the Spirit of God inside of you to help you, to show you. This is the living Word. This is alive, it says. Hebrews chapter 4 says, this is alive, it's active, it's more powerful than any two-edged sword. The word, the kingdom of God works on the principle of seed and harvest. Back in Genesis, seed and harvest. And think about what a seed is. A seed contains in it everything that's needed for that plant to produce fruit. That means the fruits in the seed. That means the life to produce it's in the seed. Everything is in that seed. And then in Matthew 13, Jesus uses the seed as an example for what? The Word of God is a seed. The Word of God is a seed that if you plant it in your heart, and you're the one that has to do this, it's not, the farmer's not earning the harvest by planting the seed. He just knows he's got to plant the seed so that the seed can do its work. But if you plant the seed and then water the seed... And the watering it is when you, planting it is when you deposit that word. That seed's being deposited right now. Every time we hear the word of God preached, the seed's being deposited. Every time you read the Bible, your, your seed's being deposited. Every time you, and we need to be it purposefully. Because sometimes I think what we do, oh, I've got to hurry along. Sometimes I think what we do is we just kind of go to the feed store, take, we take turnips, corn, we take, you know, radishes, and we just throw them all out there. No, they don't, a farmer doesn't do that. If you're going to do a vegetable garden, you don't just take a mix of seed and throw. You decide, what do I want? See, I think I'm going to have some tomatoes here. I'm going to have some corn here. I'm going to have some tomato, you know, whatever over here. So you choose the seeds for the harvest you want. So if you want a revelation of this love that God has for you, you take some of the scriptures we've gone over, and that's the seed. And understand, you have to work at it. You're not earning something. But if you'll get that seed in your heart, and then you'll begin to water that seed by praying over it, by watering that seed, by thinking about it, watering that seed, then that seed will begin to grow in you. And I've watched lately some seeds that I've been planting. Suddenly I'll begin to realize, I'm seeing something here I've never seen before. 
I'm experiencing something down inside of my spirit I've not experienced before. At first, it's a little blade. Then it's a shoot, it says. But you keep doing it, and it begins to grow, and begins to grow, and begins to grow. And see, that's, that's, a lot, that's, that's putting the seed. See, the Spirit of God will, t- is, will take that seed and begin to show you what it means. I sat there this morning and said, Lord, I'm just not getting what you want to show out of us out of Romans 8, 28 and 29. I need you to show this to me because I want to know it and I want to teach it. And all of a sudden, I saw something I'd never seen before. I can't tell. I know these verses by heart. I have quoted them hundreds of times. I preached on them hundreds of times. And I saw something this morning I've never seen before. Why? Because this author of it lives in me. And he lives in you. Meditate on it. And number four, this is the last one. Speak it. Speak it. Speak it to yourself. Talk to yourself. Get up in the morning and say, God loves you. Look in the mirror and say, God loves you so much. Sing that song we've sung so many times. You're a good, good father. And I'm loved by you. I'm like the Apostle John. I'm beloved of my father. Your mind will freak out at first. Your mind may tilt. But you, it's not, we're not talking to your mind. You're talking to the seed that's in you. You're talking to the, the, the inner man. Begin to talk to yourself. You talk to yourself all the time. And you piece of junk. You're never going to amount to anything. Here you go. Just like your father. Boy, you know, you're getting old. We talk to ourselves all the time. Why don't we talk to ourselves according to God's Word? Let's pray. Father, we take what we've heard this morning. The seed of the truth of your word that you love us. We sit here, Father, in our minds say, yes, I, I agree with that. God loves me. But it's the revelation of that that we need, Father. Take that from Logos to Rhema. May it hatch in us. May it go off in us. Holy Spirit, we ask you to do what the Apostle Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. That you would strengthen us in our inner man. That Christ may not just be in us, but he may live his life in us, for us, and through us. That being rooted and grounded in that love, we might come to experience by your revelation the incredible limitlessness of the love that God has for us that's been given to us in Christ Jesus so that we may be filled your church, your people that we personally may be filled with all of you it's beyond what our mind can begin to grasp but it's not beyond what you're able to do for you're able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power of your spirit within us. This week, help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you some homework. I'm not going to have you turn it in next week. It's for your benefit. I want you to choose some of the scriptures, one scripture 
First John 3, 1 is a great one. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. John 3, 16. Any of those. And I want to challenge you to do what I've told you to do. Just begin to meditate on it. I've got things that when I go to bed, I start thinking these scriptures. If I wake up in the middle of the night, I start going over these scriptures in my mind. Most of these verses that I speak off the top of my head, I've never sat down and memorized. They just come out of me because I've meditated on them, meditated on them, meditated on them. I want to challenge you to begin to do that. And then what I want to encourage you, I want to, I want to give you is homework. When you get up in the morning and you go to brush your teeth, which I assume you will do at some point, I want you to speak to yourself this. Look at yourself in the mirror and talk to that person and say, God loves you. I want you to say that over and over again. And again, at first, that won't, for some of you, it won't mean anything. But don't go by how it feels. You're watering a seed. And when you water that seed, you can't see what's happening. And if you dig it up to see it, you're going to kill it. You water it by faith, don't you? Because you've got confidence, if I water it, it's going to produce it. That's where the faith comes in. Just begin to speak it to yourself. And then begin to look and listen. You'll begin to see something begin to happen inside of you. And if you'll do that, the Spirit of God will be able to take the reality of God's love for you and begin to make it a reality inside of you. And it will change you forever.